The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 47 Soulmates 1864 October 30th Carson City, Nevada Penelope left Carson City that night with Odysseus. She stopped only briefly at Eurycity's cabin. She wanted to explain. She wanted to say she was sorry, but he wasn't home. So she told what she could to his father. She left the cart outside the boarding house Timothy had been staying at. Then, with Oscar in tow, she caught a stagecoach going south. They were gone. It was Sunday, October 30th, 1864. And that night, in her hotel room, she composed this letter. My dearest Luke, I know what I've done must seem like a betrayal, but please understand what it's like for me to know what will happen, to be certain of the future. You would think it would make life easier. You would think that if I knew what was coming, I could live today without fear, without regret. But the truth is, to know what's going to happen means you live in constant fear and pain of the tragedies that are yet to come. Most people live in the moment not knowing whether or not the decisions they will make lead them to where they want to go. They can't truly know, so it doesn't really bother them. They bet against the odds and hope for the best. But I know. I know that if I married you, you would die. You may not believe that. You are so prepared to die, but I know it's true. Please forgive me. I hope someday you will. Someday we may both find happiness. But always know that I did love you. For the time we had, I loved you with all my heart. I wanted to promise you forever. But what we had is all the forever we will be given. I want you to be happy. I want you to live a long and joyful life. To take care of Edgar for me. I'm sorry I won't be able to be his mother. I would have treasured that. I would have treasured both of you. Find the Colorado kid. He has a gift for you. From one lost love to another. Penelope. When the letter was finished, she folded it neatly, placing it in an envelope and addressing it to my lost love. She left it with the front desk, instructing them to send it to the telegraph office in Carson City. No one ever claimed it. Penelope took a deep breath, then let it out slowly. <sighs> it was time, she thought, for one more magic ritual. She stepped away from the front desk. There was work to do. Odysseus sat on his bed. He stared at the ceiling. It had a decorative tin cover, and the metal tiles had an incredible, intricate, and complicated maze-like pattern. He followed it with his eyes as he remembered the events that led him here. Miles away from the fight, he would most likely not see it now. But this girl, this girl was so... 
What was she? Would she really marry him? It's only been a day since he met her, 24 hours ago up on the roof at the telegraph office. Why wasn't he sleepy? The stagecoach stopped in front of the general store to pick up its passengers. So it was there they waited in the morning for the coach to arrive. Penelope browsed the market. She picked out some bread and cheese, and then, as they were wrapping it, she added two pickles. She placed the items in her carpet bag and walked away. Odysseus stepped up to the counter to pay for her, when the clerk waved him away, saying, I can't charge Lucy. As the carriage loaded, the other passengers handed tickets to the driver. Penelope just walked past him and got in the carriage, then held out her hand for Odysseus. He took it. She pulled him up. The driver made no complaint that he didn't have a ticket. The driver closed the door behind him and got up onto the buckboards. Within moments, they were heading south. To where? He didn't know. Penelope handed him a pickle and kept one for herself. You didn't pay for these, Odysseus whispered. That's because I don't have any money, Penelope whispered back. Odysseus accepted the simple explanation, but watched Penelope closely. They spent the rest of the day on the road, but that night the carriage stopped in a small town and all the passengers got off to spend the night in the hotel. Odysseus paid for both rooms before he realized he had. Why had he? He was standing at the counter, and he did it as if he was expected to. She hadn't asked him to. She had just smiled at him until he did. Even the clerk took the money without question, never making a move to get it from her, even though she'd already asked for a room for herself before he'd even come to the front desk. But he could not stop thinking about her as he lay back counting the tiles on the ceiling. When he heard a knock at the door, he jumped up, ran to the door, and opened it. As he hoped, Penelope was standing on the other side. She was holding a teapot and her carpet bag. Without asking, she slipped past him and walked into the small hotel room. She went right to the bed and sat down on the edge as she put the teapot on the nightstand. She looked at him and then at the door and then back at him. He shut the door. You can't be in here, Odysseus said in a hoarse whisper. Well, that's obviously not true, Penelope laughed. No, I mean, you shouldn't be in here. It's not proper. She didn't answer him. She simply began unpacking her bag. She removed plates, saucers, teacups, a cutting board, a knife, the bread and cheese she had procured from the general store. The bed was a little more than a thick blanket on a clapboard frame. It was hard for a bed, but made a nice table. I thought we could have supper together. I know it's late, but I'm hungry, and I don't like eating alone. So why not eat with you? What's not proper about that? What will people say? What people? Penelope questioned. People, they talk. There are no people. You're imagining them along with their imaginary disapproval. They don't exist. And I won't let real people tell me what I can and can't do. I am certainly not going to bow to imaginary people. What about the people on the carriage? Sarah, Cameron, and Anthony? They think we're already married. The desk clerk told them that we had separate rooms, and now they think we're fighting. It would probably cool their suspicions and attention if we made a big show of coming out of the same room in the morning. We can't. Wait. 
Why would they think we're already married? Well, the way you were staring at me all day, the current theory is that we eloped together. Sarah told Cameron that I probably came from a family with a vast fortune and that you were the footman at my house. Cameron speculated that we fell in love, but my family would not accept you, so we had to run away together. They think we're headed for the big city so you can look for work. Anthony suggested that in all probability, I'm already pregnant. My God, is that true? No, of course not. Haven't you been paying attention? No one is talking about you. They all have lives of their own. They are more concerned with themselves. They have little time for you. Sarah is on her way to Arizona. She has a job lined up with a mercantile. Cameron, who was asleep most of the journey, is investing in real estate in Texas. It's risky without knowing the outcome of the war. Anthony is a chef and is traveling south to learn to cook with a more Mexican flavor. He wants to open up an authentic Wild West restaurant in Chicago. How do you know all of this? Penelope poured them tea and held out a cup for Odysseus to take. He finally sat down on the bed across from her and took the cup. The plates were set between them, and using the cutting board, she began to prepare sandwiches. Well, I showed Sarah how to keep her clothes clean so that she'd look good when she gets her new job. She lent me the teapot. I taught Anthony how to fry up tortillas. He lent me the knife and the cutting board. I assured Cameron that the Union was going to win the war. He lent me the herbs and medicine that I used to make the tea. I would have been here sooner, but I went to go see the carriage driver first. He suffers from pains. I brought him some of the tea. It'll help him get some sleep, Penelope explained. Odysseus took a sip of the tea. What's in the tea? Opium, Penelope said as she took a sip of her own cup. What? Odysseus almost spilled his glass. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. It's just black tea with cinnamon. But I did put a drop of opium and a few other medicinal herbs in the driver's tea. If administered correctly, the more dangerous effects could be managed. Was any of that true? Yes, it was all true. Well, except putting opium in your tea. That was the only lie. I thought... The first rule was not to lie. <laughs> the first rule is not to lie to yourself. You can lie to other people all you want. Odysseus sipped at his tea and took a bite of sandwich. He was not surprised to find it was delicious. Just bread and cheese, yet somehow he could not remember having a better one. Can I ask you a question? Odysseus asked. I have been wondering when you would. That's why I'm here. I'm waiting for you to ask me the question. So, what's your answer? No, you still have to ask. That's part of the ritual. Are you really going to marry me? Well, that's not how I was expecting you to phrase it, but I guess it's not the worst proposal in history. Yes, I will marry you. Because I gave you the gun? No, I knew I would marry you before that. I just wanted to show Agamemnon that the world is not his toy. He needed a demonstration. Agamemnon? You know, the general. Was that his name? In a way, yes. And if I didn't give you the gun? We would probably still eventually marry. But it would be further off and the path there would be far more complicated. Was it the teacups? You were supposed to read my tea leaves, but you never told me what they said. 
Is that why you want to marry me? Odysseus asked. Penelope smiled. Oh, he was clever, she thought. No, your teacups did say that you'd be married soon, and mine said that I would be married as well. But that's not why I want to marry you. Then why? Odysseus asked softly. Penelope felt the pull to confess all of her secrets. She took the last bite of her sandwich, sipped at her tea, and set the cups and plates and cutting board aside. The bed now clear, she sat against the headdress, stretching her legs out. She set them in Odysseus's lap as he sat watching her. That's a very direct question, Mr. Rightway. I can see your reporter's instincts are backing me into a corner. You won't accept a lie. You won't allow me to distract you by changing the subject, and you will continue to question me if I give you a half-truth, won't you? Then, how about a simple truth? I love you. That's why. Does it need to be more complicated than that? It doesn't need to be. But it is, isn't it? How can you love me? You don't know me. We met yesterday. I know who you have been, and I know who you will be. Because of the tea leaves? No. It was because of your essay. Because of what the general wanted from you. It's probably still your fate to work for him. I became jealous. Tell me, if you were in love with a person you knew you would lose, for whatever reason you knew that your time was limited, wouldn't you try to spend every moment you can with them? Come to them early in the morning, stretch every night into exhaustion, and only give in to dreaming if you can dream of them? You are a dream I had as a child. A dream that has a time limit. Someday, you will work for the general, and that job will take you away from me. It won't be your fault, and I forgive you now as I will then, but it'll happen. Until then, however, I intend to give you every minute you're willing to take from me. I will never leave you. Don't make promises you can't keep. The gods may hear you, and if you break your vow, they will punish you. I swear before the god, I don't know, Poseidon, that I will never leave you. Odysseus vowed. Penelope laughed. <laughs> well, now we're doomed. No, I mean it. I won't work for the general. Ever. For any reason. I promise. Odysseus got off the bed and knelt before Penelope. Lucy, will you marry me? Yes. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse. Written by Paris Lee. Artwork by Helen Lee. Performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead. Except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you. Thank you.